Amen. Well, I know you've already been greeted, but I would like to say good morning, Cross Point Community Church. It is great to see you all this morning, and I know we have some first through third graders that are looking forward to going back to, to learn. Uh, Miss Danielle is in the back, first through third graders, and any parents that have not signed them in, this is your time to head back to meet with Miss Danielle, and, and uh, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the stories of the word that lead to Jesus. On the second floor of the administration building, we're so thankful for the ministry of our children's workers. So please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 6. While you're turning, again, a couple just quick words to add to our uh, wonderful announcement time by our brother Griff. Thank you, Griff. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Not anyone... Anybody wants to get up here every week and just share all the details of ministry, but these guys do it so well. So thank you for sharing the details and logistics of ministry in such a a neat way. Um, While you're turning, uh, a couple quick words of gratitude. First word of gratitude is for those in Upward Basketball who gave their day yesterday uh, to evaluate these little critters and 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 their basketball skills. Thank you. Thank you for every single one of you who served Jesus by serving Jesus' people and serving the community. And uh, we will pray for you as you launch into this upward season. It will be more towards the end of the year, beginning of the year when this will launch. But would you join in prayer for them? Then this. We had the wonderful opportunity this week as a country to celebrate Veterans Day. On behalf of Cross Point Community Church, we want to thank those who have served our country. If you have served our country and you are here today in one of our armed services, we would love to have you stand at this time in the service. Would you mind just taking just a brief moment and standing uh, for us this morning, no matter what arm of service? Thank you. I know we live in weird, different times. Sometimes we wake up and we're thinking, what is next? We've talked of this often. Um, The America that we seem to grow up in, we we grew up in, and we seem to know so well is changing right in front of us. But we thank God for the freedoms that we enjoy on the backs of every single one of you who have served our country. So thank you, thank you, thank you. In no way do we ever want to um, ignore or depreciate your service for our country. I did mention this prior, that we want to welcome Skip Sorensen uh, to our service this morning. My brother, would you, would you please stand? One of our heroes, as I prayed, would you welcome Skip with me? He had a dinner last night, and then uh, we'll have some fellowship today, and then there'll be a gathering in the ice, uh, ice cream shop tomorrow just to get to know him and pray better for him. But we're so thankful that you have joined us for worship this morning. Then, quickly, uh, teens, we have a get-together tonight. We will meet here at 5. I know words have already been said. We'll meet here at 5. Um, you are welcome to come, all teens here. We will be heading actually over to the 
Exodus Farms to spend some time and talking over there and helping out a little bit. We have to utilize the property, play some games, and then we're going to head over to our house for some time of fellowship around a bonfire. Teens, if you are interested in that, uh, please be here at 5 p.m. this evening, and you will be picked up at our house, the Scott's house, at 8 p.m. tonight. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 6. I pray that your heart has been prepared all week to jump into this text. As we've journeyed through Romans, if you're new with us, we're just taking a journey through this wonderful book. We're already in chapter 6. We have been exposing key truths, these key truths that are so very clear in the book of Romans. And I'm not going to go back through and, and spend a lot of time in review, but you can kind of see the outline on, of Romans on the back handout. You can see very clearly that as we've been going through Romans, as we went through the introduction, we came to this first key truth. And here's the key truth, that because of sin, rebellion against a holy God, all human beings deserve condemnation. And every single human being is in need of a rescuer. That is the first key truth that we interacted with in the book of Romans. And that led us to the second key truth in Romans 3 through 5, that through the rescuer, Jesus Christ, all true believers are justified. What a wonderful word we interacted with. This is this declaration of righteousness. This declaration of righteousness is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is nothing we could ever do to earn this justification. And then last week we started into this new section, Romans 6 through 8, and this wonderful word sanctification. Here's kind of the topic at hand. Now what? This is how we introduced it last week. Now what do we do? A lot of people in their theology will focus very heavily on the first five chapters of the book of Romans. This wonderful justification by grace, through faith, in Christ. But then all of a sudden it's like this, this stop when, when actually there are 11 more chapters in the book of Romans. So now what? Well, we have been talking about this word, sanctification. Sanctification is the now what? You've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What's next? We have now entered into this concept of growth. You've been born again. The terminology that the Scripture actually uses, that Jesus Christ Himself actually uses in John chapter 3. You have been born again of the Spirit. Now from this new birth comes growth. That is this sanctification. Every single person who's ever come to Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, all of these concepts is dynamically expected and empowered to grow in Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking a lot about this sanctification. You can also see on the back of your handout, just by way of quick review, what is this sanctification in a technical sense? It means to be set apart for a purpose. It means to be consecrated. It means to be made holy in a very practical way. 
in more of a theological sense, it is the process of spiritual growth by which all true believers are progressively consecrated, away from sin and towards Christ's likeness. This is the concept that every single day we are to say no to sin and yes to growth in Jesus Christ. And the more and more we say yes to sin by God's grace through His Spirit, and we grow in Christ, the more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ we become. That is sanctification. Last week we talked about the three senses, the three tenses of sanctification in the book of Romans, and I'm just going to touch on this. I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and and listen to some of this, because this really paints the picture so well of what's happening in the book of Romans. So are you saved? Well, technically the answer would be yes, indeed, yes, certainly I'm saved. Yeah, usually but not quite yet fully. What what do I mean? Yes, you are saved. You are positionally justified. In the past, if you have come to Jesus Christ by faith, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. The book of Romans is very clear that you've been rescued from the wrath of God. This is wonderful. But then, why do I say usually I'm saved? Because that's today and tomorrow and the next day. That remaining flesh the temptations that, that get to me before I even get out of bed in the morning. The pride that swells up within my own heart. I am battling that each and every day. And every once in a while, that sin will take hold in a slight way and I will make a choice to rebel against God. Well, why did Jesus Christ come? He came not only to save us from the penalty of sin, but to rescue us from the power of sin. We don't have to live this Christian life of discouragement and and downheartedness that we can walk in this newness of life by grace through His power, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then this all leads us to this last one, Perfect glorification. This is the certainty of the hope that we find in the Scriptures. That every one of us who has come to Jesus Christ in saving faith has been declared righteous, justified. We are being made righteous, sanctified. And one day, oh, I can't wait for this day. (laughs) One day when I breathe my last breath and my heart stops to beat, I will be in the presence of an almighty God and I will be saved from the very presence of sin in my life. This is the salvation that Romans talks of very clearly. And so in the first five chapters, we've already kind of gone through that first equation. Positional justification. What does it mean to be justified? Romans 6 through 8, we are right dead center of this equation. We are in the now what? As we had that counseling conference a couple weeks ago, this is the in-between The in-between between justification and glorification. This is the battle. A couple words of clarification, and I had some wonderful discussion. Thank you for those who bring questions and, and email or talk with me after the service. Sanctification, and we need to get this in our minds, it starts, and I'm going to go back one slide here. Sanctification starts at the exact moment of justification. We have to get get that in mind. 
if it does not, then we tamper with the whole pneumatology and theology. Your, your pneumatology is messed up if you don't connect sanctification to justification because God has placed His Spirit within us, and that's what starts the process of sanctification. So, sanctification starts at the exact moment of justification, not after some time period, some ecstatic expression of the Spirit, or some crisis moment. No, sanctification starts as we are declared righteous, and the growth process starts in our lives. So thank you for those of you in this room who had questions about that this week. Then this sanctification inseparably, inseparably flows from justification and certainly leads to glorification. That is the beauty of Romans 8. When we get to the end of Romans 8, we're going to find this promise that those whom God has justified will also make it all the way to glorification by God's grace. This is beautiful. God Almighty doesn't lose some in the middle ground. Those who He has declared righteous will one day by His grace enter into this glorification. I can't, I mean, I'm not going to go to Romans 8 and preach that right now, but I can't wait to get there. We will see this part, this glorification. In a very practical sense, though, what are we talking about with this sanctification? Here's what it is. It is the battle that you and I enter into every single day. It is the battle for purity. It is the battle for holiness. It is the battle, and hang with me, especially teens in this room, because I feel for you. It is the battle for obedience in the life of every single believer, every single day. It is battling the temptations of your old self, your old flesh. Every single day. So then, in this concept of sanctification, last week, you can kind of see on that outline again, we talked about sanctification's foundation. What is the foundation of sanctification? It is our new identity in Christ. It is union that we have with Christ. Verse 4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What is the clear foundation of this battle, this sanctification? It is the fact that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Exactly like we find in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And some of you are like, wow, that's a lot you're saying. Please hold on. Paul, in Galatians chapter 22, verse 20, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live. I'm still breathing. My heart's still beating. But it's not. Me, it's Christ who lives in me. That is the whole concept of union with Christ. Well, last week we talked very clearly of this. Very practically, as I battle sin, I am to realize that I am a new person. I am a Jesus person. I have been clothed with the robes of Christ's righteousness. I have been given a new ID badge with eternal privileges. All of these metaphors are beautiful. When you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, He stamps His ownership on you. You are a Jesus person. 
I, I haven't been able to get this song out of my mind this week, over and over and over again. You know how that happens? You get this song in your mind. And it was one of those songs I learned when I was in Sunday school. I sing a new song since Jesus came. You know that song? Maybe I'm out there somewhere. Serve a new master, wear a new name, walk a new road, have a new goal, know a new peace down deep in my heart. How many of you know that song? All four of you. Wonderful. <laughs> well, you can't identify with me then because I've been singing that all week long. I have a new identity. I know a new peace down deep in my heart. It is this new union with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. We'll talk about something a little bit more advancing in this. So not only do we see clearly this new identity today, Paul, I believe, in these next verses takes us from this simple recognition to the mindset of sanctification. What do I mean mindset? Well, sports is a massive part of my life. I love sports. Grew up as a young critter starting to learn sports. Every Saturday, it seemed, we're always on the sports field. And God, um, by His grace, kept us, uh, I mean, I think focused in this. My parents put us in sports so that we would have a platform to share Jesus with people in the community. And we kind of kept on that trajectory. I love sports because it gives you an opportunity to talk to people that you might not normally get to talk to about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we were in sports um, and it's been a big part of my life, not only as a competitor, but now as I'm getting older, and, um, as a coach. For the last 13, 14 years, I've coached soccer on the soccer field. But I remember, as a, as a competitor and also as a coach, very vividly sometimes, these pictures come to my mind of teammates or athletes that I've coached. And this concept that mindset determines function. You understand what I'm talking about here? The way you enter that, con that, that competition in your mind is going to set the trajectory for that entire competition. What do I mean? I, I remember wrestling. We did this for like nine years. And you could watch a guy before the whistle blew, before he even shook the hand of his opponent. A lot of times you can tell if that guy's going to win that match or not. You can look in his face. You can talk to one of my teammates, a couple of my teammates. I would know that they, I mean, these guys are skilled wrestlers. They know what they're doing. But I knew they were going to lose that match. Why? Because when you talk to them, they're like, oh, dear. Oh, no. Ah. Their mind wasn't in it. Mindset determines function. I mean, I, I remember as a coach, it, I coached at a, a, a college for several years, and coaching some of these players, there were some far superior athletes and skilled players that I would not start on the field. They would be on the bench. Why? Because even though they had skill, even though they had strength and athleticism, they were not the best call for that field because their mind wasn't in it. They weren't disciplined in their mind. You say, where are you going with this? Well, I really do think, I, I know the focus of this passage is on your position in Christ, union with Christ. But it very intentionally, I believe the Apostle Paul goes to the mindset. What are you thinking in the battle? As you enter into this battle with your flesh every single day, what's going on up here? 
Why do I say that? Because in the next six verses, he uses four different Greek words that have to deal with mental processing. In six verses, four different Greek words talking about how you think. Mindset determines function. Winning function is driven by winning mindset. These type of principles we see in Romans 6, 5 through 11. So would you finally go there with me? Go to Romans 6, 5 through 11. As I read, please follow along. They are on the back of your handout if you'd like them there. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, and you can circle the, next, the second word. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we, here's another word to circle, believe that we will also live with Him. Verse 9, we know, circle that word, that Christ being raised from the dead will, know, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Maybe don't circle this one, but underline it. Once for all, I love that phrase, once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. Verse 11, so you also must, circle the word, consider. Some of your translations will say reckon or count. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's happening in this text? Paul is setting them up. This battle, he's setting them up to think right. Where's your mind in the battle? Mindset determines function, so where is your mind in this battle against your flesh? Well, we come to this key truth, considering the now what of salvation, all true believers should set their what? Minds on their new identity in Christ. Setting your mind on who you are in Jesus Christ every single day. These words we just circled, I want us to just talk briefly on this. These four words dealing with mental processing, four different Greek words. The first one, some of you get into this more than others, is the word gnosko. It means to gain knowledge, and often it's after some sort of experience. I love how this all fits together. This is a present active participle and would be could be translated knowing this act, this fact, or we keep on knowing this fact. It's a fact that we embrace as believers, and we keep on knowing this. The next word, believe, comes from the word that we translate also faith in the New Testament. It is a confident trust that leads to a devoted action. This is very important. This word believe in our New Testaments is always accompanied with some sort of action. 
It is to consider something to be true enough to put active trust into that. That's what belief is in the New Testament. It is a present active word, which means we are confidently assured of something enough to put our actions into it. Again, I I would just say this. True biblical faith is never dead faith. We have to get that in our minds. There's such a discussion, even about this whole um, repentance discussion that we've talked of. Well, I think what solves all of that, to be honest with you, is to actually go through and define the term. What is biblical faith? Biblical faith is never dead faith. It is active faith. So to say you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but to never live for this Jesus Christ is a misnomer. True biblical faith is active. It is faith I mean, very simply, if faith is not accompanied by some sort of reaction, then it is not true biblical faith. And if you have questions about that, just go through and read this afternoon through the entire book of James. True faith is active faith. Sure, it's depending on God, and it's not based on my own merit, and that's where the mess around comes. My salvation is not based on my own merit. It is in Christ alone, through faith alone by grace alone, but we have to understand that true faith will lead to some sort of a response in the life of the one who's placed his faith. Okay, the next word, verse 9, we know. You might think that that's the same word as verse 6, but it is a different word. In the New Testament, it is a word means to obtain common knowledge about this fact. It is a perfect tense. It means knowing this fact, this is common common. We know this. Paul is just reassuring them of a fact. And then verse 11, that word consider is a word that has to do with mental processing, but we transition from verses 6 to 9 from stating a fact to verse 11. It is what's known as an imperative. What's an imperative? It's a command. This, is, this makes this whole text, I believe, come to life. Why? Because in verses 6 through 8 and 10, 6 through 10, he's telling them basic facts. And then when he gets to verse 11, he puts the point to the, to the discussion and says, now here's the command. Think. All right, so I want us to do, here's what I want us to do for our remainder of the time today. I hope you're hanging on. We want to look at those two things. Start off with this one. A sanctification mindset involves confident recognition of a new identity. That's exactly what Paul is doing in verses 5 to 10. He's giving them a common recognition. This is how you recognize. This is how we think. These are our assurances that we can hold to. Confident recognition of a new identity. Now, boy, before we even read the verse, I just want to make this very practical. We live in a day... In an age, I mean, you can track this historically, and we are in an age, I believe it may be even coming to an end to this particular age, it's called postmodernism. That is where if you hold to a truth, and you hold to a truth, and you hold to a truth, we can just pretend that they don't disagree in any way, and we can all hold to some sort of truth and be okay. There's so many places where that falls apart. Well, what happens in the life of a believer is we realize that that doesn't work. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the temptation then is to say everybody can just find their truth and hold to it, even if it disagrees. What happens to believers? Sometimes we kind of shrink down into our shells and be like, ah, I can't even enter into this conversation anymore. Well, I believe that's what Romans chapter 6, 5 through 10 is all about. Yes, you can. We know that Jesus Christ died and rose again. It is a fact. Stake all your claim on this fact. Confident reassurance. Confident recognition. That's what Paul is doing in these six verses. Verse 6. We know that our old self That is our old, former, unregenerate, sinful self that we still struggle with, this flesh, was crucified with him in in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. These are amazing positional truths that we must reassure ourselves of every single day. So what is this? He says this word. Again, I'll just kind of work quickly through this. He says, we know, we have gained knowledge through experience. We have a confident mental acknowledgement of the fact that every one of our sins have been fully conquered because they have been placed on Christ and he went to the cross. My sins went to the cross with Jesus Christ. Why this assurance? Well, Paul shares this purpose. Could be purpose result to this phrase, but I believe it's purpose. He says this, so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. You ever feel that way? I, I, I can't release from this sin every day. And you, you, that anger problem that just so quickly wells up within you. And sure, you go to your knees in the morning and you pray God's grace and you read through the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, like 20 times. And you get in your car and you know as soon as you turn around the corner. So, that neighbor's, that knucklehead's going to just try to cut me off. And all of a sudden, it was, it's like 0.3 seconds, and it's like, You're like, oh, man. <laughs> What's going on in me? I'm going to tell you, this truth is so that we will never be enslaved to this sin. There's big victory through Jesus Christ. As a repentant believer, I am confidently, I confidently and am to confidently acknowledge that Christ died for my sin. Because I am in union with Christ, when Christ went to the cross, my sin went to the cross. My sins were nailed to the cross with Christ in order that I will not be enslaved to sin any longer. But this is not the only thing we are to be assured of, verse 8. And by the way, there's a lot more that we said about some of these verses, and I would encourage you to take your time in your life groups to kind of discuss this more. Verse 8. 
Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Another mental processing type word. We believe, we have confident trust that leads to a devoted action. And what do we believe? Well, in this verse, death is only part of the equation, right? As born-again followers of Jesus Christ, we believe more than that Jesus died for our sins. What do we believe? We highlight this around every April. The resurrection. My favorite day of the year. Easter. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose to conquer death. We believe this. We know that we died with Christ, but we also are confidently assured that we now, this is a present indicative active, we now live with Christ. One more word to discuss, and here it is. We know, verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over us. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul says, we know. We are assured of this fact that this has happened once for all. Sin and death have been once for all defeated. Praise God. Sin has been defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. My sins were placed on this cross with Jesus Christ. Sin and death then have been displaced from their seat of dominion. And I like to think of it that way, and I think Paul talks of this in the metaphors he uses. Every one of us born into this world in sin, we were under the master of sin and death. And what did the cross do? It dethroned sin and death. It I'm going to keep moving. Um, I was just talking with a young adult group. We were praying. I said, there's times in my sermon where I just have to stop and say, we've got to keep going or we're going to be here till like four. We've got to keep working through this. All right, what, what does this practically mean for you and for me today? These verses that we're going to have to go home and, and try to work through even some more, realizing that we are... Have, we have confident reassurance in this. This is something that we can stake our claim in. What does this mean for me and for you in the 21st century? Simply this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, my friends here today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not a fairy tale. This is not on the level of the next Disney movie. This is not some mythical story born out of some pass on legend. This is not fictional in any way. My friends here today, this happened. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and when He went to the cross, He took your sin and my sin with Him. My sins were nailed to that cross. And I know that I know that I know, as my brother Rick Slopin told me so many times, we enjoyed his celebration of life and thinking through his life this week and he would sit in our men's bible study over there and so many times he would say man i'm not an intelligent man well sure he was because he knew jesus 
So I'm not an intelligent man, but I know that I know that I know that Jesus went to that cross and rose again for my sins. That's what Paul's saying here. The truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ demands our full and confident acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus truly did die for sins once for all. The fact that Jesus conquered sin and death by raising victoriously from the grave, and the fact that Jesus died and rose again for the purpose that sin will no longer enslave you and no longer enslave me. As a pastor, not only concerned with my own heart, but also for your hearts, I might assure you of the fact that the only possible way to truly, fully deal with your sin only possible way to fully deal with your rebellion and your stubbornness, your dark secrets, however you want to call it, your demons within, I've heard so many people talk of recently. The only way that you're truly going to deal with that is through Jesus Christ and His cross. It is through union with Christ, it is through our new identity and no other way. And what Paul is saying here is we know that we know that we know that Jesus Christ conquered our sins on the cross. A sanctification mindset involves confident recognition of a new identity. But then we come to verse 11, and the mood changes. You know how this is, parents. You're explaining a story to your kids, you're explaining the scenario, and then all of a sudden, at the, at the end of this discussion, it turns from a description to an imperative. You know what I'm talking about. You're talking about friends and things like that and phones and technology. And then all of a sudden, it was, it's like the very end. It's like, and you will not do this. Or you will do this. Okay, that's this passage. Paul's saying, you know this, and you know this, and you know these, this. These are things you can confidently hold on to. But then we come to chapter, verse 11, and the mood changes drastically from a description to a command. I absolutely love this because this is the mindset of our daily battle with sin. It's not enough just to know facts about Jesus and about the cross. Sure, those facts happened. But we must daily, obediently, intentionally recall those all through our lives. A sanctification mindset, here's the next point. A sanctification mindset requires disciplined recall of a new identity. It is not simply recognition of the facts that will help us in our battle against sin. It is a disciplined, deliberate, intentional, obedient, regular recall of our position in Christ. Verse 11 says this, So you also must consider. That's the imperative. By the way, that is the first formal imperative in all of the book of Romans. All of these verses, all, all of what we've talked about all the way through this book has laid the foundation for what's happening now in chapter 6. And the first imperative he comes to us and says, you must consider your place in Christ. This is theology with shoes on, as we've talked often. This is how we will fight our flesh every single day. How? By intentionally recalling that we are not the people we used to be. 
we have been changed. We are in Christ. We are Jesus' people. It's just like the instructor in the gun safety class who will share common facts that are to be acknowledged. But then he'll preface his statement with this. You must always remember this. He's not just sharing facts for us to log back in our mind. He's telling you, every time you pick up a gun, remember this. Uh, just like those parents who are teaching their young ones to drive. <laughs> My wife and I are teaching, and our oldest daughter, Kara, is doing a wonderful job learning. But it is not without whew, a certain amount of, I mean, probably about, three heart attacks and 3,000 gray hairs have been popping out of my head. But you are, she's shaking her head. No, she actually is doing very well. But there are things when I'm talking to her that I'm like, you need to remember this. Or, this is how this works. This is how this works. This is how this works. You know, drive it this way. Keep a recognition of this. And I'm constantly telling her facts about driving. But then I'm going to preface it is when you get behind this wheel someday, like in 20 years when you get your license. <laughs> someday, she's back there shaking her head. Someday when this happens, you have to remember this. You have to recall this. Every time you get behind this wheel that this vehicle, it's a weapon. You have to remember this. It's not just recognition of confident recognition of facts. It's intentional remembering. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Don't just know the facts confidently. Remember them every day. What am I talking about? He says this, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This present imperative. Do this today and tomorrow and the next day. This is, this is not abnormal in the New Testament, is it? What are we talking about? 2 Corinthians chapter um, 5, verse 17. Many know this verse very well. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I mean, this is, this is seen, this whole mindset is seen in the life of Jesus Christ, who to Peter... Uh, man, I love this story in Matthew chapter 16, all the way to 18. I love the interaction between Jesus and Peter. But here's what Jesus says to Peter. He turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It takes an intentional mindset not just to know the facts, but to set your mind. This is exactly why Paul tells the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This mindset's serious in the New Testament. I love what Paul says, to the, again, to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. By the way, you can write this verse down and, and, and memorize this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, he says this. The weapons of our warfare, this is a war. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Mindset determines function. How we think determines how we function, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Friends, our battle and sanctification requires more than just knowing truths about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It requires daily, regularly, intentionally recalling these truths. When confronted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's saying, I can't do that. My sin was nailed to the cross and I am a new creation in Christ. When confronted with the temptation to promote yourself, our response is, I'm not going to do that. Why? My sin was nailed to the cross and I'm a new creation in Christ. When confronted with the temptation to react in anger, to that guy who beat you out the driveway, or to your kids when they don't perform the way you think they should, or to your parents when they don't comply when you think they should. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that anger. Why? Because my sin was nailed to the cross, and I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. When confronted with the temptation to slander my brother and sister in Christ, how could they do that? I'm going to call everyone on the phone and tell them how bad this body of Christ member is. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my sin was nailed to the cross and I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. When confronted with the temptation to lash out at your brother in a fit of anger, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my sin was nailed to the cross and I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. You, You understand the thought process here. And it's not just knowing the fact, it is every time a temptation comes, it is remembering, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. When confronted with the temptation to lie and cheat and steal, when when confronted with the temptation to feed my addiction, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my sin was nailed to the cross, and I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. It is intentionally remembering this by God's grace every single moment of every single day. So what? How is this going to make any difference in our lives this week? How is this passage, Romans 6, 5 through 11, going to make a difference when we get in our cars and go home, when we get up to work tomorrow morning, when we come home from work exhausted, when we go to school? Young people, how is this passage going to make a difference? I think we need to ask this question first. It's the same question we started with last week. Have you received a new identity in Christ? What do I mean? Okay, the entire discussion of Romans 6 through 8, you should never even enter into this thought until you've gone through chapters 1 through 5. What do I mean? This passage is for those who've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. You can't live this way, Romans 6 through 8, until you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith and He's justified you. We need to understand that. 
And so the first question I would have, maybe you come today, maybe with a friend. It is so good to have you here today. And maybe you're trying to process these things. And I would say, you cannot live this new life until you've been given this new life by Jesus Christ. This is not just acknowledging facts about God, but truly placing your faith in Jesus Christ, repenting from your sins, and receiving this new identity by grace. Not just living a good life and acknowledging facts about Jesus, but by faith becoming a Jesus person. So if you want to restate this question here, my question for you is, are you a Jesus person? Have you come to Jesus by faith and been given a new identity? And the last question I would have, by the way, back to that former one, if you're struggling with this, please don't go home without settling this. I'm going to be around, the elders are going to be around, chaplains are going to be around. We would love to talk to you more about placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have come to Jesus Christ and saving faith, this question would be appropriate for all of us, and here it is. Will you set your mind on your new identity in Christ every day this week? Hey, let's start with when we get in our car headed home. (laughs) Will you set your mind on your new identity in Christ? As you battle your flesh by God's grace this week, will you deliberately, intentionally, obediently, regularly consider the fact that you are a new creation in Christ? Will you every day think of me as I'm singing this song because you don't know this song? (laughs) I sing a new song since Jesus came. I serve a new master. I wear a new name. I'm walking a new road. I'm having a new goal, knowing a new peace, all in Jesus Christ. As we remember this week that winning function is driven by winning mindset, will you every day, verse 11, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Come back next week because we're going to find out several more wonderful commands, imperatives on how to grow in grace and sanctification. So God, thanks for the time we could spend this week working through this thought in our minds. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. My sins were nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise you, Father. But then I pray, Father, that you give us grace as we battle our flesh each and every day this week. My friends here today, I want to just praise God that you're here. No mistake that you came here at 1015 on this Sunday morning. All of us in this room are at different places. Seriously, we're all at different places in this journey. All of us have had different experiences this week. But one thing is certain, that we have a, we have a God who by His grace sent Jesus Christ to the cross to pay for our sins. I like to explain it to my kids this way. Jesus went to the cross, so I don't have to go to the cross. He was my substitute. Well, I have a question for you. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, let today be that day. 
and then to follow along right with that one, not simply have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, done, are you placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Every day. Sure, we know justification is a declaration of righteousness. Once you're saved, you're in the hands of an almighty God. But this battle with your flesh every day, are you trusting the Christ of that cross? And are you in, enjoying this new identity that you've been given? God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the, the fact that your word is so very practical. It's not hiding this at all. You fully expose how that we are to deal with sin today and tomorrow and the next day. And I pray, God, that you would give every single one of us grace this week to consider, to count, to reckon that our sins have been placed on Christ on the cross and we are a new creation in Jesus. Thank you for the time we could spend today. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. I pray now as we close out with this wonderful song reminding us of the old rugged cross, that cross where our sins were nailed to with Jesus Christ. I pray that we would sing this with hearts full of gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for your open ears today, listening so well, even through some longer explanation today. I want to encourage you to stand if you would. If you know this, the words to this song, feel free to sing them out. We're going to sing about the old rugged cross, this cross that our sins were nailed to. If you have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, I would encourage you. There will be chaplains at the front that would love to talk with you more about this. They will be lingering after the service. A couple of us as elders will be hanging out in the foyer. We would love to talk to you more about this. Some of you came today ready to share of your resources. Uh, uh, we're not going to pass any plates today. There's boxes in the back, or you feel free to share online. But if you came today ready to share, that's the best way to do it. Thank you for being here today. I pray that every single day this week you will battle well your flesh.